AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. With their flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? Because their programs offer more than just coursework. You'll interact with experienced instructors, connect with like-minded peers, and even participate in optional live events to hone your skills. If you've ever thought about becoming a certified natural health professional, the CNHP program at Trinity School of Natural Health is the perfect certification course. You'll equip yourself with the knowledge and skills to make a real difference in the lives of others. Turn your passion for natural health into a rewarding career. Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world. Welcome to Creature Feature, a production of iHeartRadio. Creature Feature, it's Creature Kringle time. It's a holiday special about our furry friends. Today, we'll meet the real-life Rudolphs who glow underneath UV light. Imagination Station, Yeti crabs and more. Join us as we learn, explore, and learn. Die Hard is a Christmas movie, yes I know. Meet a worm whose nature's John McClane. Creature, feature, the holiday special. But we will not be singing the whole time, I promise. Stay here, please don't go away. Happy holidays, everyone. It's me, Katie Golden, your host of Mini Parasites. On this holiday special, we will explore three holiday classics. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Die Hard, and the Santa Claus and recast the leading roles as even more incredible real-life animals. Happy Creature Kringle! Happy Creature Kringle! Joining me today is writer, producer, friend of the show, friend of all the animals except maybe swarms of creepy bugs, Joelle Monique! (laughs) 
Hi, Katie. How are you doing? Great. Welcome back. I'm so excited. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. I've missed you so much. I have missed uh, you too so much. The animal facts have still been coming, though. Uh, keeping on top of everything. <laughs> Getting Warming up on the birds. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like they are beautiful. Obviously, that's been proven. And, you know, maybe they don't all want to kill me. It's just the ravens. (laughs) (laughs) We have slowly, slowly been working on Joelle on her distrust of birds to really have her accept birds as, you know, our inevitable overlords. You know, they will they will uh, take over the planet once humans have had our time in the sun. I really don't want to have like in any kind of animosity with our overlords. So I'm trying to get into like a good, friendly, accepting space yeah. with them. You don't want to burn any bridges, even though I don't think birds really need bridges. But you don't, you still don't want to burn them. You know. What if the birds burn the bridges to take better <laughs> care, you know, control over us? Right, right. Like we can't or, get anywhere. There are right. no bridges. The birds are like, why? <laughs> if only you had wings. <laughs> I think that's probably how it's going to go down when the uh, when the inevitable bird revolution comes. <laughs> But this episode is actually not about the bird revolution, but about the holiday times. Happy creature, happy creature Kringle times is what I like oh to say. Oh my goodness. Our, our non-denominational holiday celebrating all things winter, animals, and magical. And last year on the show, we used our Creature Kringle Times special to build a better Santa out of animal Ooh. DNA. We called him Hydric Quetzalcoatl Claws. Who is that does a- not sound like a child-friendly uh, Santa. Hear it me out. It concerns me. Okay, all Hear right. Hear me out. It is a hybrid of immortal hydras, which is a cnidarian, which is this little sea creature that's related to jellyfish. Also oh. a hybrid of the Quetzalcoatlus northropi, which is the largest flying dinosaur ever to exist, which was the size of a small airplane. Oh, Lord. Yes. Also, it's got some crow DNA because, as we know, crows have excellent memories and can remember everyone who's wronged them. Yes, they hold grudges. They hold grudges. Researchers have found that if you wrong a crow, uh, they will remember and pass it down for generations. So that way, don't do that. That way, Santa knows who's (laughs) naughty and nice and remembers forever. Uh, So, yeah, basically a giant flying immortal bird dinosaur who knows if you've been naughty or nice. Which is basically Aww. Santa, right? It sounds cute. Thank you. <laughs> well, this year, we are actually going to talk about some classic holiday films and recast the leading roles as animals who I think may actually be better than the original actors who were in these films. Oh, my God. I love this idea. <laughs> So we are going to be talking Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. We're going to be talking about Die Hard, which is apparently a Christmas movie. A lot of people say it's a Christmas movie. It's absolutely a Christmas movie, and I will fight anybody who says differently. Well, I'm not going to fight you on this. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not scared. I'm not scared. (laughs) I'm not scared. I just agree. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad. Oh, goodness. But and then we will talk about the Santa Claus, the classic Tim Allen movie where it is sort of a body horror where Tim Allen turns into Santa. Uh, <laughs> Never thought of the Santa Claus as a body horror, but it kind of. Yeah, it horrified me as like a kid. 
And so I, I, I categorize it, you know, up with Cronenberg's The Fly S horror movie. No way. Oh, my goodness. I would read like a five page essay on how the Santa Claus is a body horror. Well, if you look at my blog spot now. <laughs> So, yeah, so let's, in part one, we're going to talk about Rudolph, the Red-Nosed Reindeer. So that Ooh. classic, classic story, classic stop motion, slightly disturbing movie. It's always funny to me whenever there are these articles that are like, did you know that Rudolph, the Red-Nosed Reindeer is actually a disturbing movie because it has some conflict in it and stuff? And it's like, yeah, all kids' movies have weird things in it. The Lion King, the Dad dies. Bambi. Mom dies. Like so many it's weird things shot happen. Right off screen right? in front of her baby, who discovers the body in the right. middle of the forest. It's awful. Uh, we are back. The classic 1993 Steven Spielberg movie. Oh my as, god! Like crazy old dudes who stalk children and force them to join the circus. Children. Oh my movies. god! I'd forgotten that movie, but you're totally right. It's so. Oh my gosh! First of all. Listen, not to veer too far off track, but We're Back is one of my favorite childhood movies. It's not a great movie, but it is a moment when Steven Spielberg is so obsessed with dinosaurs. He makes two <laughs> movies in the same year about dinosaurs, right. features Jurassic Park pretty heavily in the background of We're Back. And it's like, and it uses a lot of the same dinosaurs from Jurassic Park. So Triceratops right. and a T-Rex are like the main feature dinosaurs. And then even the Velociraptor, too. It's just, it's like yeah. weird to be it's, in that mindset of like, how would we deliver Jurassic Park to kids when Jurassic Park essentially became a kid's movie, at least in my household. We were like massively consuming it. But uh, it's- But it was scary. One, there was some, you it's know- It's so scary. Eating people. <laughs> Listen, we're back. Genuinely will horrify your child. This is all to say that Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, politics of the movie aside, like, yeah, it's not, all kids' movies are disturbing. Oh, speaking of Christmas dinosaurs, I got some wrapping paper that has Santa dinosaurs on it. And I'm trying to make a menorah that's like a stegosaurus menorah, a stegomenorus. So I don't know why. I don't know why, but my, I love my it. Uh, holidays are going to be dinosaur themed. Listen, for some we reason. need crafts and we need joy right now. And, and we need dinosaurs. Yes. Found a way to put it all together. More than ever before, we need dinosaurs. But we're actually going to talk about some animals that are stranger than dinosaurs. So Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, famous because his nose is glowing. And last holidays, I think we talked about how, you know, Rudolph, in order for his nose to actually glow, he would actually have to have some kind of bioluminescence, maybe right. some bacteria living in his nose that produce bioluminescence or, or some kind of chemical reaction in his nose. But it's unusual for mammals to actually glow like it, you see it in insects, in fish. And, but like to actually have a mammal that glows, quite unusual. And yet we're discovering more and more that mammals can biofluoresce. So, Whoa. Yes. What's so, the difference between bioluminescent and biofluoresce? Very good question. Bioluminescence, you actually create your own light through a chemical reaction, either using your own chemicals that you produce in like an organelle or your body, or by using bacteria that is living symbiotically inside of you. And then that bacteria has it produces a chemical reaction that will produce light. That's bioluminescence. Ooh, okay. Biofluorescence requires the presence of UV light. So biofluorescence is when you can absorb UV light and re-emit it to be visible light. 
So like you shine a black light on something and then it, it re-emits as a glowing, usually it's something like glowing blue or green. Uh, it can be other colors as well. It's actually absorbing in that UV light and re-emitting it into a, a glowing light that we can actually see with our human eyes, although we can't see UV light. So these are the black light posters of nature. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Absolutely. And we've learned a couple weeks ago that platypuses fluoresce under UV light. And we, what? We just yes, we just talked about that on the show. Oh, my goodness. So cute. Yes. So they, they will biofluoresce. However, there's an update because they are finding more and more mammals in Australia that are glowing under UV light. It would be Australia. It would be like, of course, Australia. Have you... Why didn't it occur to us before now to try throwing animals in Australia rave to see if they glow <laughs> under black light? Because of course they do. It's Australia. Animals were, animals were working their tricks to make sure we never did this. It's <laughs> really a disturbance in the underground party right, scene right. for animals in Australia right now. It's just, just this wombat going like, I don't see you on the list. <laughs> so... Tasmanian devils are the newest mammal who have been discovered who oh! also biofluoresce. Oh my gosh, this picture is so cool. Yes. It looks like the universe is in its ear. <laughs> I want to go inside the ice cavern planet of its ear. It's so pretty. Yes, because most of its fur actually doesn't glow. So it's like this dark fur. It's sort of a brownish black, but in the dark, you can't really see it. But there are spots that actually glow blue. So around its snout or the skin around its eyes, their inner ear skin, all of these parts absorb and re-emit UV light as Ooh. this eerie blue light. So it looks like you turned off the lights and then the Tasmanian devil. Remember those like glow-in-the-dark stars you'd put on your ceiling I as a do. kid? The Tasmanian devil just has that. But it's on its face, on its snout and in its ears and around its eyes. It's beautiful. The Tasmanian devil, beautiful is not usually an adjective you would use to describe them. They are bushy. They're little things hang out. They're kind of cute in an ugly way. Right. They're but, ugly cute. Yes, definitely. But when they glow, my God, ethereal. Yes. They look yes. like little alien bears. I love it. Space bears. Space bear. So cute. They are actually a marsupial. So what's interesting is platypuses are a monotreme. They are not marsupials, but... Both monotremes and marsupials are kind of weird because they're they're both mammals, but they're sort of branches off of mammals that their evolutionary path probably diverged from other mammals like a long time ago in evolutionary history. So uh, that's why monotremes are so strange in their reproduction. They lay eggs. They don't have nipples. They just kind of leak milk out of their chests. And marsupials have... <laughs> I really <laughs> it's such a funny visual. <laughs> it wasn't just prepared. leaking, you know, just leaking a little bit of milk out of there. Oh but, my goodness. And then uh, marsupials have a whole strange reproductive system themselves where they have a pouch where these really tiny, almost fetal babies, when, they, when they're when they born, they have to crawl up and into the pouch. And uh, they also have some very weird business going on with their reproductive organs. They all branch off into multiple kind of like maze-like things. Anyways, this is all to say that they're, they're, they are mammals, but they are strange mammals. So it's really interesting to see that both monotremes and marsupials seem to have this tendency to biofluoresce. 
Tasmanian devils are not the only ones who biofluoresce. Basically, what researchers are doing right now is just shining black light on every animal specimen they have to see if it glows. Yes, make your moment in history, researchers. <laughs> just shine everything. Oh my gosh. I'm trying to think, like, I really would like it if butterflies lit up under bioluminescence. I know there are some that, like, glow yeah. a little. They do, but actually. Uh, there are butterflies. Be like, they would be gorgeous. Actually, scorpions also biofluoresce. But there are there are butterflies that do biofluoresce under uh, UV light. I think butterflies can actually see UV light. So butterflies are just fairies, is what I'm yes, hearing. Exactly, real exactly. Life but fairies. so are scorpions. So you know, like you can't judge. Uh, uh, I don't. They don't fly. Uh, they're not. That's pretty. true. That's I don't true. think fairies should be that deadly. Because they're supposed to defend themselves. Most scorpions aren't deadly. Just to be fair. And some butterflies are toxic if you eat them. So, you know. <laughs> do not eat butterflies, children. Don't eat them. Yucky. Don't do it. Don't in do it. In general, don't eat any anything you just find <laughs> that's flying around. But, yeah, so the other biofluorescent mammals uh, that they have discovered are wombats oh. and bilbies, which are sort of a weird oh. mouse-like marsupial. These are both marsupials in Australia. So the bilbies' ears and tails kind of glow, and the wombats sort of have glowing patches of fur around their eyes and around um, it's a little less clear to me like what parts of the wombats glow but it seems to be their fur it looks like a coca-cola polar bear went to a rave and got some like <laughs> lime green highlights and then got eyeliner that matched and was like let's do this let's do this let's and party brought its whole crew they are so <laughs> cute this little bilby with like, it's like a little wrap of like little bunny ears. Yeah, but that glow. I just feel like everything is just glowing and cute and I want to love it, but it's a <laughs> wild animal, so no. Yeah. Yeah, probably don't like, don't take these animals to a rave. Actually, re it reminds me very much of uh, Cyberpunk 2077 vibes, you know? Mm, mm, mm. Very much. I could see these pets with the luxurious folks. Hanging out in the yes. Corpo's district, for exactly, sure. Exactly, exactly. You know, I started playing the game. It keeps crashing, so haven't really gotten uh, very far. Yeah, I'm an hour in. I tried to drive a car, and <laughs> it's not working. It's immediately <laughs> like, just no. I had a lot of glitches. Yeah. It looks like it came out in 2003. I'm going to wait for the patches yeah, to come. Yep. Uh, I enjoyed building my character. It was a lot of fun. Yes. Um, on to other things until this stuff gets fixed. What a, what a journey. I feel like very much the character creation and cyberpunk vibes with these glowing animals. Just, mm, yeah, it's a it's a whole look. It's a whole vibe. It's like future futuristic Rudolph. So <laughs> this is so funny. I have to share this. Uh, Dr. Sarah Monks, who is a senior researcher at the School of Natural Sciences at the University of Tasmania has this quote when she's talking about how they're now like shining all this UV light on various specimens to see if they glow. She says, quote, you mean all these years we've been farting around with ordinary spotlights and we should have been using UV? <laughs> I just love around. it. I love it. I love it. I, I love that, like, I think it's very humanizing to realize that researchers are reacting the same way we are, where it's like, wait, these guys glow? Oh, my God, we got it. We got to start shining. Like, you got to test all of them. We got to start. now must have multiple right. UV rights, just in case. Yes, yes. They are testing as many marsupials and Australian mammals as they can 
to see who glows under UV light. And it's not just because it's cool. They also want to find out if there is a pattern with nocturnal animals, like say maybe some of them glow and some of them don't. They're finding that in general, carnivorous ones don't glow, which makes a lot of sense because if you're trying to sneak up on your prey and you're glowing, yeah, you don't want to see seen. However, so it's interesting because as we know, like Tasmanian devils are carnivorous, but they do glow. And my theory on this is that it's because Tasmanian devils are more often than not actually scavengers. So they do hunt occasionally, but their preference is to scavenge. So it's not as much of an issue for them to have to sneak up on prey as it is for them to just find and intimidate others as they go and scavenge for meat. So that's that's my theory. And if it turns out to be right, I demand an award in the form of a glowing a Nobel Tasmanian. Peace Prize for Amy, <laughs> damn it. And make it in the shape of a Tasmanian devil. A glowing, a glow-in-the-dark Tasmanian devil. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so that is option number one to recast as Rudolph. And I do have to go and mention another option because it is I can't even begin to explain. Well, I can because I have to. It's happening now on the podcast. (laughs) But this is, it's a bioluminescent sea unicorn, which, yes, very magical. So pyrosomes are called unicorns of the sea, not because they're horses or anything like that, but because they're such a weird animal that biologists are like, it's as weird as a unicorn. They are the, hmm, they're tubes, I guess, is the most essential way I can describe Okay, these. do you remember those, like, jelly, like, liquid-filled tubes? They have, like, glitter and, like, yes. maybe little stars, <laughs> and you squeeze them, and they're slippery. It looks like that, but it's an animal. Yeah, those they, they were, like, these inverted, like, tubes, and then you would, like, so try to weird. hold it, and then they would, like, slide out of your hand because... Yeah, but yeah, that's they are. That's kind of what they look like. They look like they're made out of plastic or maybe like silk stockings. They can be tiny, like the size of a little rotini or macaroni in your palm, or they can be pool noodle size, or they can be bigger than an elephant's trunk. They can be gigantic. And they are often translucent or transparent. Sometimes they're a little bit more opaque. They come in blues and greens and pinks and they are actually sort of the borg of the sea because when you're looking at one of these things one of these tubes it is not one animal it is hundreds or maybe thousands of animals it's secretly swarms katie (laughs) this is a secret swarm i'm sorry oh no yeah joelle does not like doesn't like a swarm i'm hoping this is one that it's sort of an introduction to swarms that maybe will ease you into the topic it's less uh (laughs) visually freaky yes yes so far even though it's visually very weird i still feel like i'm looking at a computer rendering of something (laughs) and not an actual thing it's so weird i'm hoping it's comforting that they actually don't separate. They don't like come apart. They're basically all permanently holding hands together. Oh my God, it's so cute. Except they're covered in a sort of gelatinous sleeve like a sausage. Okay, so less cute. It's like a sausage that's a community. It I takes- don't want communities in my <laughs> sausage. 
It takes a village to raise a sausage, as they say. <laughs> oh, this is mentally confounding. Yes. So a pyrosome is not just one big worm or tube sock or whatever, but a bunch of individual zooid. So zooids are animals that come together to form a single unit. Pyrosomes are called colonial tunicates, which sounds like some kind of ancient war general, but it's not. It's a <laughs> colony of tunicates. So a tunicate is hard to describe too. Not very helpful. <laughs> However, I will try. So a tunicate is a very strange animal, sort of a subphylum. There's a bunch of different species of them. They are all just so weird. Some of them start out life as kind of being these little tadpole-like animals that swim around and then they will settle on a rock and then become immobile and grow into this sort of tube balloon thing. And these are called sea squirts. And yeah, so they'll actually lose a bunch of their brain matter and convert it into other parts and go from being a swimming animal uh, to just being something that looks like a plant, but is actually alive, but is immobile. It's very, they're very weird. They're very it's, weird you animals. You just described what happened to me during quarantine. <laughs> brain matter, I transferred it to other things, mostly yes. just trying to stay alive. We have and I must let you resemble a human and more plants <laughs> nowadays. We have all become sessile. It yes. is it is a fact of quarantine. I got <laughs> I have these peppermint chocolate covered pretzels that I've just been Delicious. filter feeding, just letting them fall into my mouth <laughs> like a sea squirt. So unlike sea squirts, pyrosomes are mobile. They are free floating and they are actually made up of a bunch of tunicates, smaller individuals, pretty small, like sort of plankton size, who join together to create one giant creature. So they like to live in the open ocean, typically in warmer seas. They're not usually like deep, deep sea, but they can be found uh, sort of in deeper, deeper seas. The largest colonies can be up to 60 feet long, which is 18 Whoa. meters and made up of thousands of individuals yeah so pretty incredible and like i said they are attached to each other through a gelatinous casing which is also called a gelatinous tunic which is Ooh. fun <laughs> fancy like a, i would i like saying this color is nice it looks like it'd be a comfortable material right i buy it Right, it's sort of like an underwater renaissance fair like have you seen my gelatinous tunic <laughs> I will sing you a song. <sighs> so they basically work as a unit and each zooid, so each of the individuals that make up this giant sea sausage, will suck in water from the outside of the sausage and filter it through to the inside. And as it filters this water, it catches all of the little particles of edible material in the water, like basically sea, ocean, snow, little bits of organic matter. And then that's how it feeds. Yeah. So just Yummy. like, I keep calling it a sausage, but it's very delicate looking. So it looks sort of like a ghost stocking. It, it's very thin and, and flowy, like it's made out of silk. Do we know uh, how tight their bonds are? Because it looks like if I just wave my hand in it, they might all float. Yes, they are. Well, they wouldn't like separate, but you can tear it pretty easily. So like they don't 
They don't separate on their own like a flock of birds where if you try to run out a flock of birds, they'll like part for you. It won't mm. do that, but it will tear apart. So they're actually notoriously difficult to collect for research because of how delicate they are and how easy it is to tear them. And so some researchers have actually developed robots that have extremely soft hands. Like these really soft-handed robots <laughs> that they use to collect the pyrosomes. Wow. So yeah, yeah, it is. They are extremely delicate. So in terms of movement, smaller colonies can actually somewhat move on their own. Like each of the zooids have cilia, which are the tiny hairs, and they move so that they filter the water, but that also creates a water flow that uh, propels them forward. Wow. Larger colonies... I think it's just more like you can kind of tell because of how big they are. It becomes harder to sort of move it just through this propulsion of each of the individuals because sure. it becomes so, so long and sort of like uh, floppy. But they do move mostly with the help of ocean currents. So just kind of, you know, going with the flow, picking up little bits of sea detritus where they can and. Just, you know, just really easy, easy going, chill. They would really get along with Crush the Turtle from Nemo. <laughs> they just live in life, taking right. on the curve, seeing what happens. Do they also live a very long time? Like, Crush, do you know what their like, lifespan is? That's a good question. I mean, I think it kind of depends on a few factors, like how big they end up growing. You know, they're, because they're so fragile, I don't think they end up living that long. But it's like in theory, they could probably live for a while because they're made up of all these individuals. But I think in in reality, because they're so so fragile, they actually don't don't live that long. So maybe like a, a few years at most. But that's a good question. I'm not. These seem like one of the more mysterious animals that I'm not sure how much is known about. I mean, that's fair. If they shred when you touch them, it's <laughs> hard to figure out how long they live. <laughs> Oops, because this one just died. Oh crap! Okay, so start again. Start at top. <laughs> but the reason that they are a candidate for Rudolph is that they are bioluminescent, and Ooh. they can be some of the brightest bioluminescent animals in the sea. So Ooh. each zooid that makes up the pyrosome colony contains light organs that are chock full of bioluminescent bacteria. Ooh. So these organs are triggered to light up either by touch or by the presence of other light. So basically what this means is that you can have these waves of light that happen on a pyrosome because one of the little individuals is triggered to shine its light after its neighbor shines its light. So you get these waves of light. It's an underwater light show. Disney, where are you at? <laughs> Make the movie. It can also be triggered by the presence of another pyrosome nearby. So if a pyrosome is lighting up, another one will light up. It's just like a bunch of raving little sea tubes made up of a bunch of little individuals. It's, it's really, really fascinating. This animal rave sounds amazing, and I would very much like to participate. It's actually really difficult. I, I had a lot of trouble finding videos of it. I would assume it is... <laughs> Sorry, Zach just sent us a message saying, beautiful at night, nasty during the day, <laughs> which is, to be fair, a lot true of a lot of partiers. Like, you know, you're beautiful at night, and then you wake up, and you your hair is <laughs> covered in... Covered in vomit and stuff. Anyways, not speaking from experience. Um, 
Uh, Zach's our audio engineer. Hilarious. So <laughs> they will glow in white, green, or blue, but they can actually sometimes glow red and pink. Ooh. So very good, very good uh, on brand for Rudolph. So I feel like if there is an underwater Santa, he's definitely going to want one of these pyrosomes to light up his sub submersleigh. I just like trident claws mm. and his King trident claws unicorn mm-hmm. worm. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good to me. Sounds festive. <laughs> yeah, but like I was saying, it is it is hard to find videos of these. I found a few, so I will definitely provide those in the show notes. But I, I guess it's just tricky. It's both tricky to find them and then happen to have a video camera that can capture their light show. And then it's also hard to collect them as samples, you know, trying to get get these on video. But yeah, there, there are just a few of them and I will share them. I, I've sent them yeah. to you too, Joelle, for you to enjoy. But it is, it they are just, they look like, I don't know, like glow sticks, but big, yeah. big tubes, big pool noodle glow sticks. <laughs> it's again, it's hard to think that I really feel like this is a deep fake. Uh, I'm not, I trust scientists, so I know it's not, but it just looks unreal. It's weird. Yeah. There's one more candidate for Rudolph, although it may not get along with the other reindeer. Megamouth sharks, despite being twice as long as a bus and having giant, fierce-looking mouths, are actually filter feeders that eat tiny plankton by sucking them in and catching them in bristles near their gill slits. Interestingly, they have a bright white band above their upper lip, like a glowing mustache. It was thought this might be bioluminescence, but more recent research suggests it acts like a reflective band. Denticles, tiny sharp protrusions on the band, help reflect light given off by other bioluminescent animals. The function of this glowing mustache is still a mystery. It may either attract plankton or serve as an identifier for them to recognize other mecha-mouth sharks. Or maybe they like to jog at night and want to be safe from cars. When we return, we're going to reboot another holiday movie classic using an adorable flatworm and a hairy crustacean. Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. With their flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? Because their programs offer more than just coursework. You'll interact with experienced instructors, connect with like-minded peers, and even participate in optional live events to hone your skills. If you've ever thought about becoming a certified natural health professional, The CNHP program at Trinity School of Natural Health is the perfect certification course. You'll equip yourself with the knowledge and skills to make a real difference in the lives of others. Turn your passion for natural health into a rewarding career. Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? 
Well, it's got standard third row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. There are many animals who can survive extreme conditions. Tardigrades can survive total desiccation, radiation, and the vacuum of space. Wood frogs can survive being frozen. But there's one adorable little critter who could survive any action or slasher movie you throw at it. So now we're going to talk about Die Hard, the classic Christmas tale of yes. John McClane fighting Swedish terrorists. Was that? That's the plot, right? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Okay, good. Yeah, and he's like in an <laughs> office building, and mm-hmm. he's is he he's like trying to save his fiance or is it? Uh, it's his wife. Okay, but if they're it, on the rocks. Yes, they've been fighting, and he's overworked cop. He's got no time to do these things. <laughs> he he works with an outside cop trying to figure things out. Once I think is it Russian? I think it's Russian terrorists. Is it? It's I the thought 80s. they were Swedish. Hold on, Maybe let me double Russian. check this. It's Snape, right? Snape's in there. Yes, <laughs> with a wild accent. Because <laughs> it's oh, what? Alan Rickman. Yes. Yeah, so Alan Rickman is there with crazy accent. Holiday headquarters of Japanese owned business, plus controlled by a terrorist to take over the high rise. Oh, it doesn't say their ethnicity or nationality, I should say. The Swedish government has censored that on Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, no, wait. Uh, German. East German. German. German terrorist. East German terrorist. Right sure. Why okay. not? Hans Gruber. Of course he's German. Get it together, Joelle. I'm sorry, Sweden, by the way, for uh, <laughs> <laughs> the He's coming. He's a terrorist. He's going to take some money. John McCain, wife. It's been rough. John He's McClane, inside. not McCain. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I'm so tired. <laughs> John McClane is on the rocks with his wife. Right. So along with his police buddy, they try to infiltrate the building using back alleyways and stuff. The fun thing about this is this was a new building. I want to say it was owned by Sony at the time. So this production had to get special permission from Sony to use the building. It was still under construction. That's why they could film in all of the floors and all of the sets and in the um, shafts where the elevators were going to go. And so a lot of the scenes were written like on set because they were like, what's around? Oh, we have this dumpster and like a shoot where they dump all the trash. Laundry shoot, we'll do Scene, it. Scene done. Go next. Um, it was helter skelter, but it worked. Shoving Bruce Willis into every nook and cranny and like being like, "Now crawl, damn it, crawl." Exactly, and it deals with all like the per- like. There is definitely a lot of debate about whether this is a Christmas movie or right. not. The reason I think it is is because it deals with all of the holiday like themes of a family movie. So if you look right. at holiday family movies, they're like. Are we going to make it? We're really stressed out. What's the reason for the season? Um, a lot of interpersonal drama, growth as human beings. Like it's always about like 
family and how this season inspires the best of us. And damn it, that night it inspired the best in John McClane. Yeah. And, you know, he, he took out Hans Gruber and it was amazing. Right. And like he dressed one of the dead dead uh, German terrorists as a Santa, right? So, yeah. duh, Christmas movie, obviously. Bing. But the title of the movie is Die Hard, and that is because it's very hard to kill John McClane. He's very wily, very hardy. So we're going to talk about animals that are extremely difficult to kill, maybe even Ooh. better at not dying than John McClane. So our first potential cast member is Planarians. Oh my god! Sorry, it's so cute. <laughs> Planarians are a flatworm that are surprisingly cute, and they can definitely walk over a floor covered in sharp glass, get all cut off, even get decapitated, and be totally fine. Wait, so, how? <laughs> I will explain. So, like I said, they are a species of flatworm. They are actually sorry. They are a group of flatworms. Uh, there are all sorts of different species that live all over the world. They can live in salt water, fresh water, or in moist terrestrial environments. So they are a cosmopolitan species. Okay, they can, getting around. Yes, very much like John McClane. Like they can survive many different situations, even like office building Alan Rickman <laughs> holding you up for money and trying to save your estranged wife. So. They are, in appearance, typically pretty flat. I guess that's obvious because they're a type of flatworm. Kind of a brownish color. And they have this, like, weird little shovel-shaped head. And the most interesting part is that they have eye spots facing upwards on the top of their heads. And they look cross-eyed and really silly, like little cartoon characters. Like little Muppet worms. (laughs) But those are not eye sockets. They're just are spots that look like eyes? Yes. So their eye spots are made out of photoreceptive cells. And even though it looks like basically cartoon eyes where they have the whites of their eyes and and the pupils like drawn in like a Looney Tunes character, it's actually because uh, the dark part of their eye is made out of pigment cells that absorb light. And then the white part is uh, um, photoreceptive neurons that will uh, take the information about the light to the brain. So it's not it's not a pupil and the white of the eye. It's just it's it happens to look <laughs> like a cross-eyed cartoon just because uh, that's how that's how the neurons versus the the pigmented spots look like. But yeah, it looks like they're cross-eyed and goofy, and it's really funny. And it's basically they can tell the difference between light and dark, and that's about it. So, <laughs> like me, as I get older, it's kind of day, maybe. <laughs> Planarians are incredible, not just because they look like amazing little cartoon goofballs. They are super badass, really hard oh. to kill. They can survive being decapitated and can just casually grow a new body or a new head. And become multiple individuals. Imagine a diehard where every time John McClane gets injured, he just grows another John McClane. Like, <laughs> and then Alan Rickman, it's like, I just thought I we killed John McClane. It's like now you've got two John McClanes to deal with. I have with. an army of John McClanes by the end <laughs> of it, just ready to surround and conquer Hans Gruber. <laughs> The amount of abuse that planarians can take and survive and grow into new individuals is Truly incredible. You can split a planarian down the middle. You can julienne a planarian. You can Whoa. dice it. You can 
chop it pretty finely. And in most cases, as long as you have a big enough chunk of planarian, it will grow into a new planarian. Wow. Or just it'll grow the parts that it's missing. So if you cut the body from the head, it'll grow a new body. If you cut the body, the body will grow a new head. You can even bisect it partially, which sounds horrifying. Like this is like now planarian saw. You, you cut it partially in half. Those split heads will regrow and now it'll have two heads. That is some real body horror stuff. Like, <laughs> right? We have to use this animal as the inspiration for the next great body horror movie because uh, at one point, don't they just beg for death? They're like, this is untenable. <laughs> you know, like how planes have the, the, the black box. And you're like, why don't you make the whole plane out of the black box? It's like, why don't we make all animals out of planarians? <laughs> yes, keep all of the puppies safe. <laughs> just, oh, I don't even want to go there with puppies. Just like... <laughs> No matter what you do, the puppy just keeps growing back into more puppies. Oh uh, it's like cute what and horrible. What a joy! But then eventually there are too many cute puppies and, and puppies over the world. Like a three-headed puppy. Eh, it's fine. I'd like that, I guess. <laughs> the reason that they can do this is that the wound site on the planarian when you slice and dice it can actually act like the cells there will act as stem cells and differentiate to form the missing chunk of body, whether it's a head or a tail or a middle. So with embryos, as they're developing, they have stem cells. They have cells that can differentiate into different parts. It's how you basically start with like, you know, two cells and then like start to break into more and more cells and those cells go on to form the brain, the eyes, the head, the feet, the toes, the, I don't know, teeth, whatever. All the parts. <laughs> I think I named all the parts of a human. The butt. The bones connected to the... The hip bones connected to the butt bone. Anyways, <laughs> so yeah. And, and there's also some really weird science fiction-y things that happen with these guys. Like researchers can induce double-headedness in planarians by exposing the wounded planarian to electrical fields or to chemicals that affect gene expression. So... Yeah, weird stuff. Weird stuff. We have to start crossbreeding planarians. <laughs> start with dragons. I know they don't really exist, but I would like a planarian dragon. Right. You can't defeat it. It's our new overlord now. But, you know, if we take Bruce Willis, right, and cross him with some planarian DNA, we can do, like, Die Hard 3, Die Hardest. Yes. You know, like that scene with him walking through glass he would just be skipping through it like and each time he like a toe gets cut off like just a whole new bruce willis grows it's just <laughs> starts off really tiny though because it like grew out of a pinky toe it's oh, like little baby little, bruce willis i'm little john mcclain i'm gonna i'm gonna <laughs> teach you terrace lesson <laughs> oh my gosh i'm seeing the vision of john mcclain's at the end picking so off she's like who are all of these john mcclain's i'm so confused <laughs> he's like we all love you. And then, you know, somebody's always cleaning the house and she lives the perfect life. Right. His cop buddy's like, my God, there's too many John McClane's. And then <laughs> his wife is like, no, don't you see? There's just enough John McClane's to fill the <laughs> hole in my heart. It's a true love story. It's just like various sized John McClane's working around the house, <laughs> like a little short one in like a little apron making her breakfast. Making her like, food and they work multiple jobs. Now he has all the time in the world for me. Oh, excellent. Excellent. <laughs> Bravo. Oscar worthy. Uh, thank you. I think a better ending to Die Hard, right? 
Because like it's We've definitely improved upon the original like, material. Right, because if you think that you will resolve all your marital problems just through a mutually shared traumatic experience, no, you won't. That's not healthy. That's a temporary. Right. You will solve your marital problems if you regenerate into a bunch of yous that are able mm. to be en masse a better you because you can spend more time at home with your wife. Exponentially more time exactly. to donate, like to give to the reasons, you know, she, you were having trouble <laughs> in the first place. Right. It's like, I got to go to work, but my foot, which is now a whole new John McClane, can stay home with you. <laughs> can the foot go to work, boo? why don't you like me (laughs) it's got a mouth on it (laughs) so our next john mcclain candidate is the yeti crab also known as the hoff crabs which will be made very clear so i think we actually discussed these briefly during our crab episode our crabisode uh, where we talked about how the nature of things is to evolve into crabs, which is called carcinization. It is such a fad in nature. They've actually come up with a word for it, and it's that <laughs> crustaceans and sometimes arthropods just like to turn into crab shapes because crab is best, according to evolution. All right. And yeti crabs are another example of this because they're actually not crabs. They're squat lobsters who have evolved to start having that squat crab shape so but more remarkably they are super hairy so they are so hairy they are covered in silky blonde bristles that look like fur that's also why they are nicknamed the hoff crabs because of david hasselhoff's hairy chest in baywatch (laughs) (laughs) naughty scientists I thought it was Hoth, like the planet in Star Wars. Mm, that that would be nice, too, I guess. That would fit a little <laughs> bit. In fact, fit even more than you may think because they can survive in extreme conditions. So they live in the depths of frigidly cold southern oceans and congregate around boiling hot thermal vents that reach temperatures up to 750 degrees Fahrenheit, which is 400 degrees Celsius. So they Mm. are between freezing water and boiling water. And, you know, they are somehow able to find the water that won't kill them. So, you know, their hair senses it. That's where all their spider senses are. (laughs) Their hair actually does help them filter these, these toxic minerals that can come up from these vents. So these vents have these very... They're very rich with minerals, which is good for some life, right? Like a lot of bacteria that feeds on these vents. It's very good for. But for a lot of animals, those heavy minerals are actually quite bad for them. The Yeti crab's fur, or those bristles, are actually covered in this helpful bacteria that will filter out the toxic minerals, allowing the crab to feed and breathe without getting in those those minerals from the vents. And the crabs themselves actually do like to eat bacteria around the vents. And it's theorized that they probably also eat other small animals that live around the vents. They so, look carnivorous. They yeah. look like they could hunt. Uh, yeah, I think yeti so. Cra- they're very intimidating, but also beautiful. Like, I would like a yeti crab for a coat. I, feel like <laughs> very I don't know how comfortable that would be, but luxurious. it would be a look. It would look great. Absolutely. Can I just say it would look Done. great. <laughs> Thank you. So they live at crushing depths, 
So like 2,300 feet under the sea, which is 700 meters, just absolute crushing depths. So they can withstand all of that pressure and manage to stay out of the freezing cold and out of the boiling hot by crawling in between these thermal vents. So it's just like John McClane in Die Hard who has to crawl in the vent to get through the building these crabs are just very carefully crawling between freezing to death and being boiled alive and becoming boiled lobster or becoming cold lobster rolls. It's it's very, very tricky situation. <laughs> I feel like these guys understand the struggle of John McLean. Like, yes. they get it. They, they Absolutely. have had a struggle to survive every <laughs> single day of their lives. <laughs> exactly. They're all so crabby. Eh, eh. <laughs> <laughs> The Yeti has been encrypted with multiple sightings throughout human history in the Himalayas. Is there any truth to the legend? Recent research has analyzed all the evidence of a Yeti, from hair samples to footprints, and has come to an interesting conclusion. Bears! It's bears! It was bears the whole time, you guys. Brown bears live in the region, and their hair sample and footprints match those of the Yetis. So how could people mistake a brown bear for a Yeti? Well, I have a theory. Brown bears can stand on their hind legs. And sure, I don't think people would mistake it for a Yeti just yet. But if it's a brown bear with a rare white or light coat color variation, which can happen in brown bears, black bears, and grizzly bears, it may look just spectacular enough on its hind legs to seem like a mystical Yeti. And it would be rare enough to be a cryptic sighting. But hey, maybe yetis do exist, and that big-bellied, white-hair, ancient mystical being has been a yeti this whole time. Or a bear. I don't know. Either way, you better be nice and not naughty for a Santa Yeti bear. When we return, we're going to discuss the body horror movie, The Santa Claus, starring Tim Allen, and animals who would be way better as the leading role. Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. With their flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? Because their programs offer more than just coursework. You'll interact with experienced instructors, connect with like-minded peers, and even participate in optional live events to hone your skills. If you've ever thought about becoming a certified natural health professional, the CNHP program at Trinity School of Natural Health is the perfect certification course. You'll equip yourself with the knowledge and skills to make a real difference in the lives of others. Turn your passion for natural health into a rewarding career. Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. 
You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Many animals go through incredible transformations. Insects go through metamorphosis, from a larva to a butterfly, beetle, or wasp. Some animals transform during the winter to better suit their environment. And some animals transform, like Tim Allen, to take on the mantle of a deceased leader. So now we are going to talk about the classic holiday horror movie, The Santa Claus, in which a man accidentally manslaughters Santa, who lands (laughs) on his roof. He startles Santa. Santa falls, dies, an (laughs) incredible... Can I just say, this movie is brave. I don't think I've heard of any other movie that starts in the first 10 minutes with murdering Santa Claus. And it's bold movie-making decisions. Doesn't he? Now, it's been a minute since I've seen the Santa Claus, but doesn't he slip off the roof? Yes, yes. Okay, so not not a manslaughter. You know, that's an act of God. Mm. He just slipped right off the roof. I saw a murderous glint in Tim Allen's eye. I'll say that. (laughs) We all. <laughs> I just feel like, I, I, to me as a child, this closed a gap, which was like, no one lives forever. I don't believe the Santa Claus of 1563 is also bringing me presents. Right. And I saw this movie and I was like, oh, he just morphs into a new person. Right, right. Got it. It's like a Highlander situation, sort of, it right? It could only be one. Yeah. Indeed. So, yeah, in the movie, then Tim Allen, after, quote unquote, accidentally killing Santa, puts on his coat, delivers presents. But that's not the end of the movie. It turns out by putting on the clothes, he has activated some kind of like Santa transformation sequence, sort of like that Ray Bradbury story where this paleontologist assembles. the. Do you remember that? Where like this paleontologist assembles some bones of some alien creature and then she starts transforming into an alien creature. I did not read this. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, like, there are all sorts of weird transformation things. And this one is, you know, he's turning into Santa, so he gets the Santa belly and he gets, like, a a white Santa beard. Yeah. Starts going ho, ho, ho and, like, you know, (laughs) you know, giving giving stuff away. So (laughs) it's been a while. It's been a minute since I've seen the Santa Claus. That's pretty much the plot. That's there. Uh, and so we're going to talk about some incredible animal transformations that I think rivals that of the Santa Claus. So I would be remiss if I did not at least mention one fun wintertime animal that goes through the yearly process of turning into a little snow version of that animal. I mean, everyone knows about the Arctic fox and Arctic bunnies that go through their incredible transformation and from like being uh, brown and gray to being little puffballs of, of snow where they have these beautiful snow white coats. But there are also birds that do the same thing. So what? rock ptarmigans are ground dwelling birds who go from a sleek mottled brown coloration, which is, I think, really stunningly beautiful 
to fluffy white balls of feathery snowy feathers not feathery snow in the winter (laughs) they look like little snowballs with beaks and a face (laughs) oh my god i'm the last person to judge birds on beauty but this wintry coloring it's giving me like fall fashionista yes yes it goes from sort of this like summer fashion to a winter fashion and yes also, they have like these fluffy little Ugg boots situation going on. It's wild how different they look. Yes. Like one's sort of like almost like a turkey and then mm-hmm. the other one's like a dove. Sort yeah. Of. And it's much like bigger and oh my God. Fluffier, yes. Yeah, they so, actually, so they look a bit turkey-like because they are a, a ground dwelling bird for the most part. So they have that sort of more rotund oh. uh, squat body. They're actually a, a type of grouse. And their feet are so fluffy, covered in feathers. In fact, it's Latin name, Lapusis, or Lapusis. I don't know. Maybe, la- I think it's Lapusis, not, not Lapusis. But it's Latin oh, name, Lapusis, means hare foot because its feet are fluffy and covered in feathers and look like bunny feet. So these extra foot feathers keep their little feetsies warm and also allow them to walk over the snow like they're wearing snowshoes by increasing the surface area. So like snowshoes will increase the surface area of your foot and uh, displace that weight so that your foot doesn't go right through the snow. It's the same thing with these feathery little snowshoes so that they can step, step, step over snow and not fall fall under the snow. He's so cute. And that, of course, the reason their feathers turn white is to camouflage with the snow. And females are all white except for some black feathers around their tails. And males actually still have this bright red eyeliner around their eyes, which is present yeah, all year do. long. It's beautiful eyeliner because they always have to look. They always have to look good, like a lot oh, of birds. They're trying to impress the ladies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, as we know with birds, like males are always trying to look their best, and it is a look. It is a really nice. I would say it's. It looks like it's both an eyeliner, eyeshadow, and like eyelash combination of just bright red, which is very good. Yeah, the red falsies on a red eyeshadow is bold, but is. I really respect the choice. Yeah, it looks great. He's ready for. Any, like, Paris fashion walk. Yes. I'm inspired. And with that that stark white white coat, it's very, it's it's a bold move, but one I, I too, respect. (laughs) (laughs) They like to live in little snow caves as well. And snow caves are these hollow bunkers of snow that often form around rocks and trees. And actually, when you're walking out in the snow, it's something you sometimes have to be careful for. Like, if you walk around a tree, you can actually fall down because, like... It, the snow will form this kind of like this little hollow cave when there's like roots or something that prevents the snow from piling up under it or, or in between rocks. So they will get in these little snow caves and it will help them keep warm. And it's really cute when they poke their little heads above the snow. It's just this like little, it looks like it's a groundhog, but it's a bird. Oh my goodness. <laughs> this is the first bird I'm ready to go on record and say that I love. We like- did it. Woo! So, so sweet. It's a Creature Kringle Times miracle. <laughs> <laughs> yes, beautiful birds. Uh, wonderful. And I think it's a much, I think it's a less horrifying transformation than in the Santa Claus. Yes, this is a fashion transformation. Yes. Whereas Santa Claus, as we've already mentioned, is pure body horror. 
It's also, I don't know if this is ever explained in the Santa Claus, but like, does he go back to his normal body when it's not Christmas time or does it? Yeah. Like... And then next year he, he gets big again. Okay. And he does even Santa Claus too. <laughs> there is a sequel. It is amazing. Uh, he can you cannot shake being Santa Claus. So just like all of us then, really. Yes, yes. Once winter comes, we all bulk back up to our Santa right. Claus. We grow out our Forms. hair. Yep. Mm, mm, mm. Hair hair turns white from stress. <laughs> <laughs> Start giving away all of our money in gift it's form. True, it's true. We all <sighs> we all really do become Santa Clauses around around the holidays. So in terms of I think what's interesting to me is that in terms of actually following the plot of the movie, the mm. animal that m is most like the Santa Claus are bees. So really? we are actually going to talk about bees in depth in a very special New Year's episode about bees. I'm really excited. I think you guys are going to love it. It's uh, got uh, Jamie and Caitlin of the Bechdel cast on yes! it. It's all about bees. And we review a very special movie, which you may have it's guessed what it is. Movie? Maybe. Oh, <laughs> my God. A movie that actually requires analysis. Yes. Because it's so bananas wild. It's oh, my goodness. so important. I, I was also on another podcast. I think it's out now, the Frame Rate podcast with Abe Epperson and Michael Swaim. And I also talked about Bee Movie there. But I needed to do it on this podcast, too, to really get deep into the bee biology. So it's it's a good it's a good check it out. Uh, it's coming out uh, love it. soon. <laughs> so, yeah, but we will talk in depth about bees. However, this is, I think, an important point to bring up when we are talking about the Santa Claus, because bees basically follow the Santa Claus movie rules. So okay. most bee larvae will grow up to be worker bees. Worker bees are female bees. They're all sisters. And they do all of the normal tasks around the hive from collecting pollen to, you know, defending the hive, everything. This sounds like heaven. Just a workforce <laughs> of women's sisters united. Getting things done for the hive. I love it. But a few select larvae will actually grow up to be queen bees. Oh, and this clicks. is when, <laughs> when a new queen must rise. And this is usually following the death of the old queen or the old queen becoming too old to become a good egg layer, which is kind of, you know, mm. kind of sucks. She's uh, just retiring. She's yeah. in her golden years. She's going to fly down to Miami. Well, it all depends on how it shakes out, how the uh -oh. politics of life shakes uh -oh. out, as with most royal successions. So assassinations. Creating the new queen is triggered by the workers detecting a lack of the queen's pheromone, which Whoa. she normally distributes around the hive. So if she, if she dies or becomes less active, that queen pheromone will start to degrade and then the worker bees will be triggered to start feeding some larvae mass quantities of royal jelly. Royal jelly is a specialized honey that is nutrient-rich nutrient and triggers the larva to start the process of developing into a queen bee instead of a Ooh. worker bee. And actually, I think all worker bees are fed a little bit of royal jelly as larva, but just for the first couple of days. But queen bees are just fed a diet exclusively of royal jelly. Oh, premium babies. Premium babies. And they will actually have a different body than a normal worker. So 
Their body is elongated, much larger than a worker bee. They will have, like I said, they have that queen pheromone, which causes the bees to act differently, and they will breed and mate unlike the worker bees. So that queen pheromone actually suppresses mating in all of the worker bees, and so she will be the only one to breed and produce she can produce thousands of eggs a day wow when you have like a situation where you have an old queen and a new queen sometimes it's fine like the new queen will just work alongside the old queen but sometimes either the workers or the new queen will kill the old queen yeah we can't have two queens that's confusing Mm. messages to people (laughs) we gotta make sure we're all aligned behind one person a united front Yeah, in fact, like a newly hatched queen, if there are any other queens that are developing, she will go around and stab them all with her stinger before they can hatch and become uh, rivals with her. So I had no idea there's so much bloody regicide happening inside (laughs) the beehives. So imagine if in the Santa Claus, if the the elves elves have to smell some kind of rich Santa cologne every day. And if they don't, they start raising a new Santa by feeding it exclusively like Santa cookies. And then once that Santa grows up, it will kill the old Santa and in any other developing Santas and then become the new Santa and start you spreading its Santa cologne around. You have convinced me that the Santa Claus is a horror movie. <laughs> and now you have improved upon the original horror concept of mm-hmm. that movie. Uh, horrifying to think because then... Essentially, they're getting a baby and just feeding it Christmas cookies only for its whole life so that when it grows up, it's like huge and thinks it's Santa Claus. <laughs> well, that's basically what happens with bees, as I'm sure any any entomologist would agree with me. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, but those Santa Claus movies are messed up because like in the Mrs. Claus one, doesn't he like kidnap a woman and... Essentially, just I don't remember the Mrs. Claus one. In all these movies, it's like there's new rules to being Santa that the Tim Allen character finds out. And, oh, in order for you to remain being Santa, you have to find a Mrs. Claus. And it's like the Mrs. Claus because it's a clause of some magical legal document. Right, 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 right. He has to go find a wife and use his Santa magic to make her fall in love with him. Ew, creepy. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it's more like he's using his magic to woo her, not to, like, mm. mind control her. But, you know, like, mm. I don't know. I feel like we're skirting some lines to watch. Kinda, yeah, like an omniscient <laughs> Santa that knows everything about you and is using that to, like, date you. Ooh. I don't know, man. It's weird. I don't like it. He's made a listen. He knows who's naughty or nice. It's and getting weird, Santa. On- He goes on like one date with her and then basically lays it out on all on the table where he and all the elves are like, I got to marry you to keep being Santa and for Christmas to happen. And of course, she's going to say yes. You know, it's like the worst kind of public proposal. Never propose to someone that you have not talked about it with like make sure they're okay with a public proposal otherwise you're just hijacking right right emotional hijack exactly like you you propose to someone in front of a big crowd the pressure's on to say yes because then otherwise they don't want to embarrass you but then privately later they're probably gonna be like dude what what no actually no and now you're (laughs) heartbroken and looking like a fool but imagine that except it's not just a crowd of elves staring at you but it's like christmas on the line that is so unfair so again, all these unhappy movie. children will be your fault, lady. <laughs> or maybe this is a um, an analogy for what women go through every year at Christmas, <laughs> and they're like, "Make our Christmas special, damn it!" 
are just tired and they want to rest. Yeah, I feel like the Santa Claus 2 needs to be remade into a horror movie, sort of like The Invisible Man, where it's married to Santa <laughs> and he, he's just super creepy. And I would watch that. <laughs> Anyways, that's why Bees is Santa, QED. Listen, you have made our favorite holiday movies even better. Enhanced them. Enhanced with- them with natural biology. <laughs> Yes, success. <laughs> I will make Christmas scientifically accurate, even if it pains you, even if it breaks <laughs> the childlike wonder in your heart. But I don't think it will. I think that nature is so wonderful and magical. It actually enhances the magic of it. Listen, you want your fuzzy birds with fur feet to skip across the snow. That's yes. magic. That's magical. So cute. So wonderful. Our, our glowing tubes. Our John McClane worms with googly eyes. It's all incredible. This has been a wonderful Creature Kringle Times. Joelle, thank you so much for joining me. I have missed you so much. So this is a wonderful, wonderful Kringle Time reunion. And we will have you back, of course, in the new year. Have you on the show again. Katie, it was such a pleasure. I, too, miss you a ton. I love everything holidays spirited. I do not ascribe to one holiday. I will celebrate them all. We need as much joy as we can have. (laughs) And you know, when we do animals and movies, that's my favorite thing. So thanks for having me back. And yeah, I'll definitely be back in the new year. Yes, yes, excellent. And where can people find you? Oh, well, you guys already know I'm all over the internet at Joelle Monique. That's J-O-E-L-L-E-M-O-N-I-Q-U-E. And you do, you write amazing articles. I love your TV show reviews. And you can find us on the internet at Creature Feature Pod on Instagram, at Creature Feet Pod on Twitter. That's F E A T, not F E E T. That is something very different. And yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. I really appreciate each and every one of you. I am so, I'm just so lucky to have people to listen to my podcast, listen to me geek out about animals and. Uh, yeah, I, I hope you're all staying safe and having as much fun as you can this holiday season. I know it's I know it's hard and different for all of us, but yeah, it's uh, I think that you know human beings are capable of finding light even in the darkest of times and finding uh, giant pyrosomes that light up your heart <laughs> even in the darkest oceans. <laughs> So yes, thank you so much for listening. And thank you to the Space Classics for their super awesome song, Exolumina. Creature Feature is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts like the one you just heard, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. See you next Wednesday, and happy Creature Kringle times, everybody! Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. With their flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? Because their programs offer more than just coursework. You'll interact with experienced instructors, connect with like-minded peers, and even participate in optional live events to hone your skills. If you've ever thought about becoming a certified natural health professional, The CNHP program at Trinity School of Natural Health is the perfect certification course. You'll equip yourself with the knowledge and skills to make a real difference in the lives of others. Turn your passion for natural health into a rewarding career. 
Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, I love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.